District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Happy Tuesday, everyone. This is Gabriella Hoffman, host of District of Conservation. Thanks so much for tuning to the show. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2022. Would love your feedback. If those resolutions I set out and tips I offered were helpful, and if you found that ATF news to be encouraging. We'll see what happens with that, but you never know with governmental agencies, but I'm encouraged. Fingers crossed that stays the course. Anyway, today I want to again discuss the eminent pullout of the Commonwealth of Virginia from the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. This has been built as a market for carbon and that it's going to be great for the environment. And to me, before I explain it more broadly, to me it seems like reaction to the pullout, the announced pullout from Governor-elect Youngkin and the reaction in the media is very similar to when President Trump pulled out the United States from the Paris Climate Accords. There was a lot of overreaction, hyperbolic feelings, exaggeration, kind of alarmism, doom and gloom. And I wrote how that is not going to be the case with eminent pullout if he is able to either use executive action or convince members of the General Assembly to support a legislative item to withdraw Virginia from Reggie, as it's called, because I believe it was codified into law in a sense through the General Assembly and it may need to go that way, but Yunkin is using executive action or if the withdrawal has to take place from General Assembly, it'll be interesting to see that. So anyway, regardless of the means of how we would likely remove ourselves from it. I explained how our state's participation in Reggie, which is pretty short-lived, it only just entered into it last year after the passage of the Virginia Clean Economy Act. And through my fellowship with Independent Women's Forum, I thought it was prudent to write about it, to explain the problem with carbon taxes, and to explore the issue more and assess whether or not Reggie is truly a carbon market, which it's not, and that's the argument I make. So I'm going to read for you guys an excerpt from it. I'm going to explain some of the sources I used, and I hope you find it to be interesting, even if you don't live in Virginia, because 10 other states are also part of Reggie. So here is my look into Reggie and Virginia's eminent pullout. The op-ed I'm alluding to about my argument for withdrawing Virginia from Reggie was printed in the Virginian Pilot and also the Daily Press, which is a companion publication to the Virginian Pilot, which is the most widely circulated publication in Virginia. It's the second time I've been printed there. I previously wrote about the PRO Act and problems in set in that and how it'll affect Virginia freelancers like myself. But as it relates to District of Conservation in this podcast, I wrote about and was successfully printed when discussing Reggie, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, and why I agreed with Governor-elect Youngkin signaling his intention to pull the Commonwealth out of this arrangement. And here is why. I'm going to read for you an excerpt from my column, which is sadly behind a paywall. But because of State Senator Mark Obenshane, he somehow was able to go behind the paywall and give his supporters access to my article or reprinted it there, reposted it. But for respecting the Virginian pilot, I'm not going to read the entire thing for you guys. Governor Youngkin told the Hampton Roads Chamber of Commerce 
that he'll remove Virginia from the initiative by executive action once he enters office on January 15th. I had read for you previously his statement. You can go back to the past episode. And I said on the merits, Governor-elect Youngkin is correct. A timely withdrawal from this flawed carbon market, which isn't inherently market-based, will benefit Virginians given its vast shortcomings. And the title of my article is Exiting Reggie is a Win for Virginia Producers and Consumers because of the carbon tax that our membership in Reggie imposes. The most notable problem with Reggie is its overall negligible impact on carbon emissions. This shouldn't be controversial to communicate, and here's why. I explained that in 2019, the Congressional Research Service, which is a nonpartisan source, observed that nine partner states at the time account for approximately 7% of U.S. carbon emissions and 16% of U.S. gross domestic product, and called carbon emissions reductions arguably negligible at best. If you want to link to that, I will include that in the show notes for you guys to check out when you're done listening. When those numbers are broken down, it only accounts for a measly 1.4% in total U.S. emission reductions. And even this reduction is largely attributable to the transition from coal to natural gas here in Virginia, especially. Not only will Reggie membership fail to reduce carbon emissions in a meaningful way, it'll raise costs for Virginians. And I'm going to talk more about the Cato report. I think I spoke about it previously, but I cited the Cato study that broke this down and said how actually states that didn't belong to Reggie transitioned to wind and solar on their own without the force of this type of arrangement. And I argued that when the market sets prices, demand for renewable energy naturally happens, not through this artificial market that Reggie created and consumers will ultimately pay lower prices for clean energy. And the Cato Institute concluded that there was no added reduction in CO2 emissions or associated health benefits from the Reggie program. And as I noted previously, according to the State Corporation Commission filing that was just reported, continued participation in Reggie will raise energy costs here, which are already increasing thanks to the Virginia Clean Economy Act, which will raise energy bills by a whopping $800 a year by 2030. And this is the supposed net zero law that was passed and signed into law by outgoing Governor Ralph Northam last session. And what Reggie will impose on Virginia ratepayers is an additional $4.37 a month or a total of $52.44 a year if this goes into effect by September 1st, 2022. With rising energy costs all across the country, especially felt here in Virginia, from an economic standpoint, too, this makes no sense to continue our involvement in this so-called carbon market. From an economic standpoint, what I just listed for you completely invalidates the argument that this is going to lower costs for energy, especially related to clean energy. I also talked about how the program actually does not compel states to create their own carbon markets. Actually, people decide to adopt clean energy onto their portfolio on their own without participation. Reggie imposes and levies a carbon tax on all carbon intensive goods. And some of you listening may be saying, well, we have to do this and this will incentivize consumers and producers to either abandon or cut their reliance or stop making things using carbon intensive goods and services. But to transition away from that is going to have huge costs to people who are struggling, especially as they're reeling from the pandemic, because we were hit hard here, too, despite the looming presence of the federal government. It didn't make Virginia immune to economic downturns. And 
I argued that these added costs are associating with carbon emissions will disincentivize producers and consumers from making and using carbon intensive goods. And I said that if this were to carry out, we would lose our number one spot for business if we're discouraged from producing carbon-based goods. And the logic behind the carbon tax, and if you read the tax foundation, I'm going to cite it in the show notes, read and head over there to learn more about a carbon tax. It's a nonpartisan outlet. Yes, the Cato Institute is libertarian, but I try to offer a wide variety of different sources. But the tax foundation, which is nonpartisan, said that in kind of the fine print of their assessment of a carbon tax, that carbon taxes don't just affect producers who are supposed to be incentivized to kind of transition away from making carbon intensive goods and producing carbon intensive services. But, a pe- but like any tax, the costs associated with transitioning are ultimately passed down to consumers who purchase carbon intensive goods. And do you guys know how many goods we rely on that are byproducts of carbon and petroleum and things of that sort? A lot of goods. And it's going to be really hard to cut your reliance on goods like that just to be honest. And when prices of goods and services increase under a carbon tax, taxpayers ultimately see their incomes reflexively diminish as well. And this will lead to Virginians having a diminished purchasing power because we're already paying a price, a hefty premium for electricity and gas. And not surprisingly, carbon taxes disproportionately hurt lower income Virginia households that largely rely on carbon intensive goods and energy sources for sustenance. And if you don't already know, Virginia doesn't have solar and wind on its electric grid. And this is from the Department of Energy Information, U.S. Energy Information Administration from their Independent Statistics and Analysis, the EIA. And according to their profile of Virginia, natural gas accounted for 61% of Virginia's utility-scale electricity generation, Nuclear supplied 29%. It's a little bit down from 30% previously. Renewables, mostly biomass, accounted for 6% and coal fueled less than 4%. So you don't see solar and wind on our electric grid. We're still heavily reliant on nuclear, which we should be reliant on. That's the true cleaning energy source. We're pretty reliant on natural gas, which is what we largely transitioned to when they forcibly closed coal plants Perhaps it would have naturally occurred. I guess I'm of the belief that natural transition away from coal was inevitable. But having been to coal country and having seen kind of what this administration is trying to do with oil and gas leasing programs, what they did with coal previously, I think largely government threatening to shut down and regulate coal plants, new coal plants even further, and what they're trying to do with new oil and gas leases, very similar Um, That's largely why we saw coal diminish here in Virginia, although we're still heavily reliant on coal in southwestern Virginia. And I think people admonish that too much, and you need to go to the region to understand it and understand people whose livelihoods are still reliant on coal. You can find an excerpt at Independent Women's Forum, IWF.org, where I write a lot about energy and environment. I often plug my articles there, but I really wanted to examine this, and I'm grateful to my mentor Charlotte Whalen, who handles the energy portfolio with IWF for her guidance and her edits and confidence in me to get something like this 
pitched and, and the ladies in the media team who helped pitch this successfully and to the Virginian pilot for publishing this. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to communicate this and to share this perspective and hopefully convince some of you listening that participation in Reggie is not necessary to reduce carbon emissions. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.